you know, um, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's apathy. Coming, coming up you know, the way I did in recovery, it was like, eh, if they, if they need help, they'll come find me. It's my job to get out there and show them, hey, man, that, that there's something really awesome out there. And you look like you want to kill yourself. And everybody in here does as, as well. You know, I was that same way, man. You know, now when those guys come up, it's like exactly like you said. It's like, I, I got I to gotta go find that guy. man. There's a purpose. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Plugged in Media Network, another episode of From Darkness to Life. I'm here today with uh, everybody knows Mr. Lord Armstrong. Lord Armstrong, you got to let that go, man. <laughs> I love it. I can't. That one's going to follow you forever. Uh, Ryan, here we got to. Why don't you introduce our guest today, Rick? You know him better than I do. Well, he's he's a guy that I've actually gotten to know fairly well over the last I don't know what year or so now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Never actually met the guy. He's probably. Our uh, most distant guest to date, uh, his name is Josh. He's out of, was it Gettysburg? Gettys- <laughs> it's Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Hattie. 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 Yeah. Like, like, oh, Hattie with an H. Hattie. Yeah. Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Sweet. Sorry for butchering that, buddy. Um, yeah, so uh, we've, we've crossed paths a few times. Um, I've done some speaking engagements for him. He's done some speaking engagements for us. And... Uh, we share some common, some common associates and, uh, yeah, I would just like to welcome him. He's got an amazing story and looking forward to hearing what a day in the life of Josh. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a day in the life of Josh, man. I don't know if you want to do that or not, man. That's kind of, uh, it's kind of dangerous. Yeah. yeah. How are you um, doing today, buddy? Man, I'm okay. Uh, like we had talked about earlier, I got a, got a lot of stuff going on, um, but I'm excited to be on this podcast, excited to be here, um, just excited to see what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I think I'm okay. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I know. I, we were just talking before the podcast started. I was in Rick's truck one day when you phoned Josh and and I had never met or heard you before. I saw you on Facebook a few times, and but after five minutes of hearing you speak, I was sold. I'm like, we got to get that dude on the podcast. Even I know your story and your message is going to be amazing, <laughs> but that accent, I'm all over that. I love it. Uh, you're probably you're probably saying the same yeah. thing about us up here in Canada. Oh, those accents God. you guys have. Yeah, I've got a former brother-in-law that grew up in Vermont, man, and I love his northern accent. So absolutely, man. You know, we, we, it's progress, not perfection, right? <laughs> I love it when you say progress. Yeah. Nice. Nice. It's progress down here in the South, man. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, super excited to be here, guys. Yeah, and so I hope, I hope that I am the southernmost visitor on your show, man, so I can have that designation. Well, to date you are. You've got that title today. What tomorrow brings, who knows? But as of today, <laughs> you're our most southern guest. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess, you know, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, your background, and what brings you here today? Absolutely, man. Um, and so I got to say, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, this is the first time I've actually ever been on a podcast, and you guys are breaking my cherry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is this is pretty cool. Um, yeah, a little. You know, I grew up in the Bible Belt, 
right? And so things are a little bit different here um, in, in southeastern United States, different country, obviously. Um, so many things bring me here today, Rick. That's a loaded question, dude. I mean, um, and I'm just going to kind of say, I think that uh, God brought me here today, to be honest with you. Um, if, if I'm being open and honest about that, uh, last year, two years ago at this time, I never would have seen myself talking to two gentlemen in Canada on Zoom. <laughs> okay. And then now, and I'm, it, it, while it is funny, it's also just so surreal because it, it coincides with, you know, um, opening myself up to new things, man. So uh, I think the power of God and 12 uh, step recovery have brought me here. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and we can go into detail doing that, but you know, that's, that's the answer, you know, um, getting out of the way and just showing up. Awesome. So, yeah, I know um, we've, we've met through recovery circles um, is, you know, without letting the cat out of the bag. I think people just kind of assume that. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, the first time I, I had met you, well, I guess not met you, but heard you um, was in kind of this virtual world with these. That's uh, been one of the miracles of COVID, I think, is how, you know, I've got to go to meetings in, in Mississippi. Right. And right. Uh, and the networks and the relationships and the friends that we've made and the relationships that we've like, you know, I've got we got people in Boston now. I got a buddy in Northern California. I got a buddy in Mississippi. It's like, man, when this we got to start traveling now. Yeah. Yeah. Taking on the road. <laughs> Dave, That's fire true. up that mobile podcast <laughs> suitcase for us, buddy. We're going on the road. <laughs> well, and it's so good to see that recovery is yeah. you know really thriving down in the southeast because i was sharing with rick i was down in uh, louisiana last march right at the start of covid and i mm-hmm. went to take in uh one of the 12-step meetings in the local community i was staying in and i found it online and i drove out to the church and the parking lot light was on but nobody was home there wasn't a car mm-hmm. in the parking lot and i don't know if it was because of covid or i just thought oh my goodness surely there's got to be some people in need of recovery here because i've seen the people walking around <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. it's not much different than yeah. it is here. You know, there's so I, I wasn't really too sure if I was in the right place or maybe I had the wrong night, but there was nobody there except me. And like we all know, we only need two people in a room to have a meeting. So I was hoping for right. one other person to show up, but nobody showed up right. that night. So and so, yeah, I think that this this the area that I'm in is probably similar to where you guys are in. Um you've got pockets of enthusiasm, as you guys would like to say of uh, 12 step recovery. And then you've got um, the meeting makers make it, you know, treatment center type um, AA groups. I mean, you know, 12 step recovery groups as well. And uh, you know, it's, it's a battle sometimes, man, you know? And, and so I think that, you know, being connected with you guys and, and a year, and I'll just tell you a little story, which is not, you know, probably um, dissimilar from what you've heard before is you know, I'm in Hattiesburg three years now. I've been living here off and on for the last 20 years. And COVID hits, and I am completely falling apart as far as, you know, I'm upset, man, because I can't make my, my, my meetings with my people. And um, this is my second trip in 12-step recovery. Um, I uh, The first time lasted almost, you know, 11, 12 years. And, and looking back now, that's that's uh, I wasn't connected to the power. Um, it was all, you know, self-will run riot. But... <clears throat> So when the, when the pandemic hit, I'm closed off. I'm naturally closed off because I think that I know, right? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. But 
that's, that's my biggest problem. And so on this thing, I've always been against online meetings. I thought those were for nerds. I thought those were for people that just, you know, didn't have any social skills or whatever, you know, and they weren't really getting it. And so um, I was upset. And for some reason, I had the thought, why don't you just join an online meeting? It was a Sunday morning right when this thing was starting to, to hit and people were starting to get scared. And I got on this meeting with these people from California and it blew my mind because the first thing that it did is it introduced me to, Al- to, to Alcoholics Anonymous that I used to be a part of um, in my first stint in recovery with the people that were really on fire, you know, that really had a passion for this thing. And, uh, and while I'm not, I'm not putting any blame on anybody else for my, my, um, my recovery, I've kind of, I'd kind of gotten stale, you know, mm-hmm. I'd kind of gotten stale and kind of letting influences around me, um, you know, get to me a little bit. And so I got on there and I'm like, wow, this is pretty neat. You know, um, I, number one, I don't have any anxiety about saying anything because I'll never meet these people again. Right. You know, I can say whatever I want and get some different takes. And so as days rolled by, I got hooked up with a, a, another friend of mine here in Columbia, Mississippi, who was a real old timer. He's passed away now due to COVID. But uh, he, he suggested we start doing some Zoom meetings. I reach out to a good a Facebook friend of mine. So here's where this thing comes in. You know, it's kind of like when you get sober the first time and all these um, old ideas, well, not all of them, but some of them just change overnight because you're like, wow, this is possible. So um, get connected with Ross and he's a Facebook friend. And I started asking him about, you know, hey, do you have any speakers? And if I'm being honest, I'm thinking to myself, how can I impress my local 12-step recovery guys? I'm going to get some big speakers, man. You know, I'm going to impress them, you know. And on the other side of it, I'm trying to do good, but I'm also trying to impress people. Uh, that, that's also part of my part of my MO, man. And so uh, I contacted this guy, and then um, he sent me all these names and numbers. And, you know, for the life of me, if I'm being honest, I'm like, I can't call these guys. You know, I don't know them. You know, we, we can't forge a relationship over the phone. Like, what are they going to think of me? You know, all that me, me, me stuff. And so I reached out to Victor S. out in Sacramento, California. And this guy, he was on fire. He still is on fire. And we stay in contact, similar to you guys, man. And uh, never met this man in my life. And I'm thinking, he's trying to sell me something. There's, there's, something <laughs> there's no way that this guy is not trying to scam me or something. You know, I'm sober, you know, seven, eight years. And I'm having these thoughts because like, there's no way possible this can be a genuine relationship. You know, what's he going to try to get out of me? Because this is over the phone. This is through the Internet. And so I told him kind of what I had been you know, struggling with and, you know, where I was at in recovery. And he's like, dude, get, get your book out. And I got the book out and we started looking at some stuff in the book, man, got me fired up again. And that just started a whole new journey. You know, started a whole new journey. Um, got introduced to a, a, a mutual friend of ours who, who led me through the work one more time, you know, in a different way that I hadn't had in a while, man. And since then, it's just been a whirlwind, man. You know, it's been a whirlwind. And um, thank God for that, you know. And so um, speaker meetings, you know, I think, Rick, were you the one that messed up my, my first speaker meeting through PPG? Was that you? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> if I was a bet man, I'd say probably. <laughs> Yeah, so that's how I met Mark, man. He asked me to come speak. And of course, I'm like, oh, you know, all real nervous, and, you know, excited. And, <clears throat> and um, yes, I was introduced to Mark through that, man. Nice. And uh, he, he led me through the work, changed my life, man. Yeah, I do believe I introduced you that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty Good times, well. Good times. Yeah, Mark, he's a, a very passionate individual. I, yes. I, I've had the fortune of knowing Mark for years. I used to work with Mark in our previous lives. 
oh, and wow. uh, knew him oh, wow. in our active addiction days. So now, oh, wow. yeah, and then got reconnected with him in recovery and to see that side of him and how, like you said, on fire, that dude is, you just, you just can't help but getting revved up when you're around that guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and that's kind of how I operate, man. I feed off of those other people like that and, and hearing his take on um, the work, which was similar to what I had before, mm-hmm. um, just immediately fires me up, man. I mean, you know, you guys do the same type stuff. It's like, um, why are we here? You know, why are we here? We need to, we need to try to help people. And, uh, and that's kind of something I've been missing for a while because, you know, um, the dangerous thing for me is, is to get in here and, and try to, you know, figure stuff out for myself and, 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 you know, get things from me. Yeah. Um, and that's what led to a relapse, man. You know, for me, you know, that's, that's my story. Not doing the work continuously, um, because when I came in at 19 years old in local treatment center, I got introduced to AA. Um, it was awesome. Um, I'm a drug addict as well. So we're just, I'm, I'm using the 12 step recovery model here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I saw where people could have things. And if I'm looking back, not knowing then what I know now is like, I just want all my stuff back, man. You know? And so I did all the work that I thought was necessary to do that, man. And it, and it lasted for a while. And then self-knowledge does not keep me sober permanently, you know, and um, got the wife, got the kids, got the job, got all the stuff. Um, but then all the problems start taking over, man. And, you know, my, my ex-wife now, but she, she struggles with, struggled with, with uh, similar addictions. And uh, she became my problem. Outside circumstances became my problem. And um, that eventually led to me picking back up, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, I'm, this time around, it's more, you know, a little bit, been a little bit more honest with myself as far as why I'm here. Man. You know, I can't fix me. I still try to fix me, Rick. You know, I still try to get all the ducks in a row. You know? <laughs> and I just, I just can't get them there. You know, I think that's the most fascinating part about this. And one of the things I appreciate the most about you, Josh, is uh, it's, it's really shined a big light for me on, you know, you come from a different part of the world, a completely different environment. And, when I've heard you talk, our stories are interchangeable, which really affirms to me the reality of what this illness is. This is not a, this is not a me problem. This is like every single person I've met that is really dealing with this. It's all, you know, the circumstances might be slightly different, but all the emotions, all the thoughts, like it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. The underlying condition is the same across the board. Absolutely. And it was right. pretty wild to hear that, you know, when the first time I heard you speak, it was like, man, this guy's telling my story. Right. right. And, and I know we talk about that on, on the, uh, on this show quite, a, quite a bit is little bits and pieces of all our guest story, how, how much they all relate and are all interchangeable. And you, especially, I think that was like a big, one of those big highlight real moments for me is for like sure. this light bulb going, holy cow, man, like, <laughs> you know, literally kitty corner on the continent for me. And it's the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which gives us a little bit more um, incentive to do the work, man, stay involved in this thing because it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's the same, you know? And so when you hear that, when you hear that type of um, information put out there and we, and we can all relate and we can all be on the same page, it's like, dude, you know, we can, we can do whatever we need to do to help you. You know, it's like, uh, it, it provides more passion for me, you know, to see that other people have, um, similar experiences with the work, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it really solidifies 
you know, the, we have a common problem, but we also have a common solution, right? So like, yeah. I know we, a lot of people come into these programs with this perception of terminal uniqueness, right? I'm different. <laughs> if you only knew the way it was for me, my, you know, oh, yeah. if you knew oh, my yeah. life, you, whatever, you know, I've heard, we've all heard it all, sure. right? Just that terminal uniqueness. Nobody, there's not another person that's going through what I'm going through. And that's just the illness, right? That's just the illness planting that seed in your brain to isolate you. It wants you isolated. Yeah. When the reality is we all suffer from the same thing. But the upside to that is there's a solution that works. For sure. And the part of your story that you were just talking about earlier, Josh, about, you know, your previous run through AA and recovery and, you know, the the wife, the job, all those things were still in place. That's the part I sure relate to because that's part of my story too, right? I went to treatment you know, three years before I actually found long-term recovery and, and I came out of treatment and I had the job and the wife and I was socially acceptable. All those things were still in place. And it took me a long time to realize that social acceptability doesn't equal recovery. Right. Yeah. Right. I was still the problem. I still had all the other problems, like you said in your story, but I wasn't willing to deal with all those things. I thought it was still manageable and I got everything fixed now and I've been to treatment and I got this under control. Absolutely. And I think sometimes that's harder for, can be harder for guys like that in those situations looking back, man, because why do I need to do any of this work, guys? I mean, it's a great idea for you. And I, looking back, man, <laughs> quick, quick story that's hilarious. A guy I was working with a while back with the step work, and um, he described my sense of entitlement to a T. He said one time he was, this was back in the 70s, he's been trying to get sober for a while, and he was telling a story about being back in the 70s, and he was watching a guy pick up a 30 year chip. And this guy that I'm talking about had six months. And he said, I was thinking of myself in my head, y'all can just go ahead and give me that 30-year chip. I'm good for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm good for it, guys. You know, so it's like coming coming in that first time, Rick, is like, uh, yeah, that's a great idea for you guys. You know, that's yeah. a great idea for you guys. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up in a um, Baptist church and, you know, I still have all my teeth and, um, you know, I'm fairly good looking, you know, I'm all that kind of good stuff. I'm smart, you know, all this ego stuff. And I really don't need to do all that, man. And so I couldn't, you could, you explained that to me for many, many years. And I just, I, I couldn't jive with it. You know, I, I could not get past it, you know? And so coming back, I remember I had three months sober. Um, when I had been in AA three more months is when I got sober for good. And I was sitting in a meeting in Louisiana, a really good meeting, man. That had, one of those meetings with a bell, you know, they ring the bell and stuff. It's really good. And uh, this girl's in the corner and she was talking about how bad it was. And she was just, you could see she was in so much pain. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, shit, she's hurting. I'm glad that's not me. You know, <laughs> I'm, you know, just, I'm glad that's not me. Better her than me. And then right after that, a week after that, maybe, you know, the, all the wheels started to come, across, come off, man. I mean, it was just for the next three or four years in sobriety, man, things were just blowing up and thank God they were blowing up, man. Like I would never choose that for spiritual growth ever. Like I'm that guy. Like I want everything that I can get for as little work possible. That's just, that's just, that's who I am, man. So I need you guys to teach me opposite of that. But looking back, man, all the stuff that happened after that meeting was the best thing that could ever happen, man, because it, it, it helped me to see that I, the first step is I am going to, drink, I am going to take the drug unless I do this work, mm -hmm. unless I do this work, you know, because every, because when I have it, it just starts, man, you know, the, the resentments, the anger, the sadness, 
thoughts of suicide start coming. I get in a fight with the wife. First thing I think of, well, I can show her. I mean, they'll really be sorry for me if I kill myself. You know, just, you know, it's, it's that just that sickness, man. Who does that? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the insanity of it all. And it seems in that moment, it seems normal for us. It seems logical. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So what point for you, Dave? I mean, not Dave. I'm sorry. What point for you? Oh, look, I'm looking at the name down at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Dave's the wizard. He's hiding in the back like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, he's the one pulling levers. <laughs> so at what point, Ron, did you, did you, were you able to bring it together and kind of get it, man? You know, it's not about all that stuff. Well, it took me two times, like I said before, right? And it took me right to the point of suicide, actively trying for 14 hours to take my life in the middle of a field and ending up in a psych ward and, and back in an ICU and all these places. Right. And everything that I had fought to save for so long, the image, that picture, we talk about this lots, mm. the picture that I painted for everybody to see. And I was trying to save my job, my career, my, my finances, my wife, my, just that whole unit came crumbling down while I was in treatment, divorce, house mm. was sold, all those things. Right. And I was sharing with Rick one day. I remember still, trying to figure out how I was going to take my life three weeks into treatment. You know, I'm just going to get through yep. this still saying all the things they want me to say. And I'm just going to get through this treatment center one more time. And then I'm going to take my life. And it was a, it was a fellow in that treatment center who was a counselor with lived experience who had 20 plus years in, in one of the 12 step programs. And he just, you know, stepped out of his counselor role and grabbed me by the shirt one day and pulled me to the side and said, dude, like you're going to end up dead. If you keep bullshitting yourself, when you're ready to get honest, come find me. And that was the turning point for me. Like this guy gets it. And it wasn't something out of a book. It was, you know, he knew the trajectory my life was on and he knew I was just doing lip service in that treatment center. And that changed my life. He went above and beyond what his role was supposed to be in that treatment center. And he worked with me at night and on weekends and highlighted different things for me out of a, out of a step guide. And I changed my whole life. Yeah. And that started to reframe my thinking. Cause up until then, all I was, was, an oil and gas guy. Like I was tied to my career. That's what defined me. And I didn't think there was anything else I was capable of doing, but he opened my eyes to, you know, at the very start, we talked about this too, is I just wanted drugs and alcohol out of my life. When I said, okay, I'm going to commit to recovery. And then six and a half years later, the gifts that have come from that decision have just been astronomical. And I would have sold myself so short if that's all I got was clean and sober. Right. So yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. So our collective journey, I mean, my goodness, guys, I mean, if that's not, you know, a byproduct of that, then I don't know what it is, you know? Yeah. 100%. And then, you know, deciding, you know, after doing the 12 steps and then committing to, to making this my way of life and not just one hour a week in a room somewhere tucked away in a basement of a church, um, by doing that 12th step and helping people continuously, that's what I based the rest of my life on. So I chose a career that I could do that. And uh, it just kept, you know, the gifts of recovery and, and that connection to a higher power now, which is a huge foundation of my recovery, has just continuously dropped the right people in my path, one after mm. another, that mm. I would have never recognized before. And that's how I ended up crossing paths with Rick and Damien. Like I knew these guys from the 12-step circles in this community, but they go to a different fellowship than I do. And uh, I just knew who they were. That's it. But when we sat down at that table that day and we started finishing each other's sentences and started, you know, talking like we'd known each other for a hundred years, we're like, man, this is something we got to share this with, with other people because that's what saved our lives was somebody with lived experience, you know, turning that light bulb on for us and showing us hope. 
And now it's like, man, let's just start doing this in the community and showing that there is a different way to live. One of the big gifts I think that I've seen um, is, you know, like you, you were talking about that young lady you've seen that you could just look at her and, you, you know, see the pain and be like, well, thank God it isn't me. <laughs> I, I get that. Right. Um, but now to walk up to that person and go, I, I know you don't believe me today, but you're going to look back on today. You know, if, if you do a certain, if you, if you, if you really want something different, you just, you just do it. Yeah. And you'll be able to look back on today as the best day of your life. And it's crazy how simultaneously the darkest day of my life, darkest days, you know, it's kind of ebbs and flowed a little bit for a while at the beginning. <laughs> right. But the, the darkest periods in my life I can look back on as the greatest gifts I've ever had. Yeah. Because, um, well, Mark, Mark says it all the time, right? I think we have in, not just in 12 step, but in, in society as a whole, I think we have a tendency to try to save people six inches from their bottom and you're not doing them any favors. Like if, if I wasn't as broken as I was, the absolute willingness wouldn't have been there and the odds of success wouldn't have been there. Yeah. And so now it's, it's, it's almost exciting to see somebody walk in suicidal homicidal just completely broken and like i know that makes me sound like a sick masochist right but like when you see that you're like oh this is exciting like you're ready you're yeah. actually ready to do something and it's an opportunity to see the lights turn on in somebody and it's like yeah that's what fills my cup now yeah oh absolutely and it, it, you know it's it's like and it's in direct opposition to to how i thought that it was coming in man and so it's like Typically before that, it's like, oh, that's, you know, I'm glad that's not me. You know, if she needs some help, she'll come ask me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that's that's kind of how, that's what I heard, guys, you know. And so, and I know this is similar for, for some of you and because we've talked about it before, but I don't think anybody's ill-intentioned at all. And I love, I don't, I don't know if Mark said this or somebody in y'all circle said this, you know, you know, um, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. It's apathy. Yeah. And so coming coming up the, the way I did in recovery, it was like, eh, if they if they need help, they'll come find me. You know, or if they'll do this, you know, if they want it, they're going to come get me. And so I think there's some truth to that. You know, you, you can't make somebody do anything. It's my job to go out there and show them, hey, man, that, that there's something really awesome out there for you. You know, there's really something better than this meeting, you know, where we're just talking about our problems and you look like you want to kill yourself and everybody in here does as, as yeah. well, you know, so um, not knocking the meeting as far as that goes, because those people are, are trying to help. It's just, I was that same way, man. You know, I was that same way for years, you know, because I still had, you know, a lot of things I could go in there and feel good about myself, you know, but everybody else in there, they were struggling, you know? And so it's like now when those guys come up, it's like exactly like you said. It's like I, I got I got to go find that guy. Man. There's a purpose, you know. There, there's a purpose to what's going on, and I think that uh, the primary purpose in my life today is to be responsible and and try to help those people. You know, I don't have to worry about you know is this the right thing to do for my job? You know, because yeah. I'm all I'm all about mental masturbation, trying to figure stuff out, guys. That's like the obsessive mind. You know, was well, this going to do this or is this going to do that? And when that stuff just drives me up the wall. So all I got to do is, is look at my primary purpose. You know, what's my primary purpose? 
tell up other alcoholics and drug addicts. Man. If mm-hmm. I can do that, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, everything else just seems to fall into place. Eh? And I, I, I think that for, for me, that was, um, you know, there, I think there's a lot of internal struggles that a guy has in, in 12 step recovery is, you know, it's, it's not, it's not all rainbows. Right. I mean, I think I had a lot of mental anguish about decisions and things that were asked of me. And, and, uh, the one, the one thing that I struggled and I think it, it really has fueled me in my purpose with, with OCJ is, is the concept of, um, one of the traditions being attraction rather than promotion. Mm. And, and I struggle with that because for me in my story, when I found myself in, in the room for the first time, I wouldn't have identified as an addict or an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that's where I belonged. So why, if it wasn't for just random circumstances and certain people putting me into that room that day, I would have never sought it out. So if we're, if we're waiting and, and, and I appreciate, you know, that all the traditions come from a place. I'm, I'm not at all trying to discredit the traditions at all. Right. I, I do. I, I work very dil- diligently to respect sure. the, tw- the traditions and, and, uh, but that's the one I really struggle with. And that's what kind of brought me here is, is if, if I just wait for people to come, they might not know that they need to. Hold on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where this, for me, this OCJ thing is, is um, it's trying to walk that fine line, right. Of, of yeah. telling my story and putting myself out there and going, you know, if you feel what I feel, what I felt, if my story sounds familiar, maybe just maybe you have what I have again, mm-hmm. bringing us back to the common problem, common solution. Right. Because I wouldn't have identified as that and I wouldn't have sought, I wouldn't have sought out a meeting. So it's, it's interesting how we end up in the places that we end up with the people that we end up with. So what, what you're talking about, it sounds to me like, and I want to hear from you guys about this with you, with your uh, experience with my story and my, my, my biggest, um, I guess, obstacle for um, serenity, so to speak, is untreated alcoholism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So can you describe to me some of your, um, this this time around, maybe some of the obstacles or mistakes or things that you've went through um, in, on your recovery journey, man, you know, um, where, where you kind of got sidetracked or some untreated alcoholism was popping up. Because that's where, you know, um, we do go to these meetings and we hear all the good stuff sometimes, but like if, if I'm not linked up with a guy like Mark or a guy like Bert that I grew up with first one AA with, and them sharing that stuff, their personal struggles as well on the side, then, then I think that, you know, everybody's just perfect. You know, and I know on the inside, like you said, Rick was like, you know, I'm, I've got this thing, you know, um, so you must have it too. So can you tell me a little bit about each of you, you know, situations in your life, in, in your recovery journey where that's, um, something you've struggled with or that you've dealt with? Well, I think, <clears throat> I think for me this time around, like I, re- when I went to treatment the first time and, and the treatment center I went to was a 12 step based treatment center. So I was fortunate enough that I got introduced to the steps and to the program, but that's what I focused on was the steps the first time around. And I just did, like I said earlier, the lip service, right? I, I wrote answers down and told them what the, I thought they wanted to hear and 
didn't do it for the right reason. Second time around, I had nothing left, nothing left to give except for my word and really dive into those steps. So I focused on the steps and uh, that's what got me into recovery for that first year. It was suggested to me to try everything that comes your way, program related and recovery related, be open and willing to try it all. And I did that and I made it to that first year of sobriety and, and recovery. And I thought, man, this is amazing, right? But now that the obsession and the compulsion to use is gone, what is left? Well, how do I use this program to better my life? So I was fortunate enough to run into an individual who showed me how to do that. And not so much the, the pitfalls of my story, but the parts that really accelerated my recovery was starting to focus on the traditions now and working those into my life, not just using them in the concept of the 12-step program, but how can I use those 12 traditions to better my life and to, you know, we hear all the time that the, the 12 steps stop me from killing myself and the traditions stop me from killing other people. And that's the part that really helped my recovery. And, and like I said, excelled it because once I started to understand the 12 traditions, cause I don't know about you guys, but that first year or so in recovery for me, I, the traditions were foreign to me. I didn't even look at those. I was so focused on the step work. The traditions were a part that came in after. And once I realized the value of those traditions and, and how I can incorporate them into my day-to-day living, that's the piece that uh, has really helped me move forward. And, and just communication and dealing with relationships in my life, not just with my spouse, but with everybody I come across. It's just been so helpful and kept me out of all that insanity that I used to dive into because I used to thrive on that stuff and my base, my whole life on chaos and insanity and fuck you, my life's better than yours. And I'm going to, my ideas are better than yours. And I'm going to show you why. Yeah. And it starts with, with the knuckles usually in my previous life, but now it's like, now it's just a, a serene way to communicate with people and understand that everybody has the right to their own opinion. Right. And as long as I'm not being malicious and I'm doing it out of the, for all the right reasons, things are, things are going really well for me. And I, I really relate that to understanding the traditions and formulating my life on them. What about you? It's a tough question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Good job, Josh. <laughs> I think the bits that I've struggled with the most is self doubt. And like with, with, with this, with the self-awareness that is so critical, it easily turns into self-doubt. And I can, mm-hmm. uh, I've, the, the phrase that I've heard coined was, uh, uh oh, now I forget. Um, p- paralyzed in thought. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Paralyzed oh. in thought. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can get so caught up in questioning my motives and questioning my what I'm doing, why am I doing it? Because I'm trying to be, you know, it, it, there. It's almost like you run a, you run a little mental like with you get you get bogged down in your own head. You're mm-hmm. having a shitty day. Something's happening. You're trying to deal with the scenario. You're dealing with people. Whatever. You're just off, right? And you know you're off, and you're aware enough to know that you're off. And then you start going through the process of systematically checking boxes. Like, am I, what, what am I, why am I that? And it's almost like a a step four, right? Like every, I can get stuck in step fours all the time and get hung up on that last column of a step four in my head a hundred times a day, right? right? What's my role in this? What is my motivation? What am I trying to accomplish? And then 
I end up not doing anything because I've missed the opportunity. <clears throat> and then I start getting resentful at myself. Like, you know, I, in all the darkness that in all the shitty times that I've had since really, really jumping into this program, because I've kind of done it, you know, I've talked about, I did it, I did it half-assed and yeah. it led me to suicide. You know, I came into this program suicidal. I did it half-assed that led me to suicide. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I know that I need to do it. And so, it, but it's amazing how quickly I can, I, I don't go to, I want to drink or I want to drug. Yeah. I go to, I want to, I'm going to hurt myself. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, yeah. that's where yeah. I go. And um, just being so conscious of that, it, like I, I just get paranoid and, maybe yeah. paranoid is the wrong word, but I get so hung up in my own head mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I'm thinking that I don't think anything. And then I get pissed off <laughs> or angry because I've missed an opportunity or I haven't been present. You know, my kid will make me angry at something. I remove myself from the thing and I try to figure out why I'm angry. And then four hours later, <laughs> I've missed four hours of engaging with my family. And then I'm resentful to myself because I've missed the opportunity. So it is, a bit mentally exhausting (laughs) (laughs) and you want to kill everybody yeah well it goes you know what what typically happens is i go from outward anger i want to Uh i I just want to fucking wreck shit (laughs) and i want to burn buildings down and i'm taking everybody down and then once i get a minute to pause and find my role in that it immediately goes all of that turns inward and yeah i'm get i get really resentful to myself for letting myself go there yeah yeah and i don't know that's a, a pretty long-winded answer for you i think but that's my biggest struggle i think is uh tr- trying to be easy uh, it's it's way easier for me now to find forgiveness for other people it's still a struggle to find forgiveness for yeah. myself that, that's a, that's a huge struggle for me as well and i think you know when i when i came into 12-step recovery um and was introduced to the big book um what i read and what I heard interpreted was different from what they're saying. And I'll give you a prime example. Um, you know, when I started talking to Victor um, last year when the pandemic started, he brought me to 86, 87, 88, how to, you know, how to organize my day and how to stay connected, you know. Um, and then how do we do that 11-step review? And we went through, you know, um, as we retire at night, and we get all the way down. And so I tried to do that some, if I'm being honest, the first time around. And after reading through it, it's like, well, damn, I'm a pretty bad dude. You know? And so, and I skipped, and I skipped over like the last couple sentences that say, um, we must be careful not to, you know, uh, get into remorse, worry, or morbid reflection. And there's a reason why, because that's me. I've, I've lived in there for years. Yeah. You know, that's where I stay. You know, I'm like, you know, Ed, um, Ed Mutem's dead now, but he was a great, great, he's one of my AA heroes, man. I, I've met him one time before, but he was, He's huge, man. And one of his talks with, and I could relate to him so much is he could be in a, a, a room full of people, 300 people, 299 are just giving him all the praises. And there's that one person that just has something negative to say, you know, I'm a 299 to one guy, you know, I'm looking at what that one guy says. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's been, that's kind of been my walk as well. Rick. Um, and then also, am I getting into, you know, almost a, a delusional type thinking, as far as plans go or, you know, because before I would, you know, maybe, maybe God put a thought in my head or, or, or there's a good idea, maybe to start a, a new podcast, our collective journey. Right. And it comes into my head and it's like, is, is that Josh? 
or is that what I should do? You know, or is, is this me trying to be, you know, um, better than everybody else or outsmart everybody else or, or be different or should I do it? And so in the past it was like, no, you can't do that because that'll never work. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, 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 I wouldn't do this kind of stuff. You know, it was like um, growing up, I loved my father so much, man. You know, in our family, we're Mississippi State fans, which in college you know, sports, like we're like the perennial, you know, mediocre team. You know, <laughs> we get close, we get really close, but never quite get there. So like growing up, he's like, you know, don't get your hopes up always prepare for the worst, you know? And so like in, in, in my life, it's kind of been like that, man. And so this time around, I'm trying to, you know, fight back from that. It's like, well, why not? You know, why not start this podcast? You know, yeah. why not, you know, go up to that guy or that gal and try to help them? You know, why not? You know, what's, the, what, what's the worst that could happen? Fear of failure, all that kind of stuff, man. So yeah, that's been a big one. Still is sometimes, man. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's pretty common because, you know, after listening to both you guys talk about that, it's a huge piece in my life too. It, I think in a lot of the people we work with, that low self-worth or that negative, all those things that we tell ourselves for so many years. And like you said, Josh, you live in that for so long that it's hard to not believe that voice anymore. It's, it's huge. And that's the biggest thing I find working with new people is, well, that won't work for me. I can't do that. Yeah. You know, all these things, they're already failing, set themselves up for failure because of their structured belief that they've lived in for so long already. And if you can just help people push past that first bit of fear and, and help them taste that little bit of success, you know, walking through the door of a 12 step meeting the first time, how, how, how many people sit outside that building or sit outside in their house or their car and never go to that meeting? Cause they're terrified, right? Mm. Because their self-worth is so poor or what's going to happen behind that door or whatever it is. Right. But when you walk through that door with somebody for their first time and they recognize that, man, it's not that bad and I can do this. And just that little, those small little light bulb moments, man, they're amazing. And man, can you ever build on that as soon as they start turning on? In my experience, Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so who's out? So you guys kind of gave me a little bit of a, a history on, on our collective journey. Who was the first one to make the, make the call to the other or have the idea? Hey guys, I got an idea. You know, was, was there that kind of moment? Uh, no, it was really, really organic for us. I think um, Damien and I were one degree of separation away from. Um, so, yeah, I guess you're not local. You have no, no idea. Um, so we're medicine. That's a city of about 60, 65,000 people. So, uh, you know, the old, what is it? Six degrees of separation, seven yeah. degrees in medicine. That it's like maybe two. Right. Like if I don't know you, I know somebody that knows you. Right. And that's just kind of the, the population that we have. Um, so Damien and I were both, um, a degree of separation away from, from some suicide. We had a bit of a, I don't even know what to call it. A spike in, Mm -hmm. in suicides of a certain demographic of, of people. It wasn't necessarily a blanket spike, but this specific demographic kind of spiked, uh, from a, about early summer to the, well, early summer on really. Um, and, and being one degree away, we've seen the pain that it caused and we've seen, you know, we were trying to support people that were directly affected by it and, and listening to it all play out. It was, it, these men were 35 years old. Like they were in the same place that we were the same time, the same, socioeconomic group right it, and it was like man and it, 
there was a lot of like confusion around it. Like why? Right. Why? And, and me and Damien were having a conversation one day and it was just like, well, dude, I was there. You were there. If they're anything like us, I know exactly why it ended that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we, we both kind of recognized this. So Damien, I, I credit him with honestly saving my life. He, um, when I was really, really early, like my first days, he pulled me out of a meeting and sat me down and told me his story, which was my story, which made me go for the first time. Holy shit. I'm not alone in this. Right. And this guy looks happy and joyous and free. So like, how did you get from where I am, this darkness to like where you are? What do I got to do to get from A to B? And I just did it right. Conceded and did it. Whether I believed it, whether I agreed with it, just did it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we, we immediately in, in that first conversation recognized the power of shared experience of telling my story, me hearing his story literally saved my life that day. And it wasn't anything profound. He mm-hmm. just told a story, right? Um, he didn't counsel me. He didn't educate me. He didn't support. He like, he didn't do anything other than just purely tell me a story. And so we kind of got the seed planted there and then, uh, went to an event that the city held. It was kind of a visual, um, world suicide awareness day and got yeah. hooked up with some people and, <clears throat> and Ryan's name got brought up and we all went for a coffee. And, and, uh, again, like we didn't, we had no idea what we were going to do. We just figured let's do something. <laughs> right. Cause like the biggest thing for us is, you know, what's, what, what's been happening, what's been more of the same that didn't work. Isn't going to solve the problem. Right. So we need to come at it from a different angle and totally organically just snowballed into mm. where we are today. Yeah. It's been a wild eight or nine months and yeah, like, like Rick said, you know, they, Rick and Damien got put on to me. I'm an addictions counselor in town here and work through one of the recognized agencies. And uh, so I went to meet these guys and fully not knowing what this was going to be, but in my mind thought, well, I'm going to direct them towards one of the other agencies probably. And, mm-hmm. but once I sat down, like I said earlier, we well, sat down and talked to Rick and Damien and we were finishing each other's stories and knew the feelings that came with all of these stories of the individuals who, you know, lost their lives to suicide over the last year. And maybe alcohol, maybe drugs weren't part of those stories. Maybe they weren't alcoholics. Maybe they weren't drug addicts. Maybe they they just didn't have the coping skills. I'm sure a lot of individuals, because I didn't have them at that age, I had no idea how to deal with conflict or struggle or anything, just the way I was brought up. So sitting and talking with these guys and knowing that they were feeling the same things I felt at that time, we're like, man, like, let's see if we can tell our stories and hopefully some people resonate with where they're at in their life based on where our stories were at that time. And they, you know, putting two and two together and maybe they'll see where they're headed and reach out. And it's, yeah, like Rick said, snowballed from there. And man, it's ridiculous how many people are reaching out. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I thank God every day for putting us in this position to be able to help people by sharing our stories. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I want to be really clear about that. I mean, with with all of the events that happened over the last eighteen months with suicide in our city, I'm I'm by no means saying that they're all alcohol or drug mm-hmm. related. Like, who who knows? I don't know. Totally. No, I can't say. <clears throat> but what if it was? Yeah. Right. So 
what if it was and they felt alone? Because like, what if they felt the same feelings that I felt and yeah. they weren't lucky enough to have a Damien go, hey, right? here's my story. Does that sound familiar? For sure. Yeah. And, and taking that whole drugs and alcohol piece out, the feelings that led me to that dark spot where I tried to take my life resonated when Rick told his story. Those feelings were the same. Minus the drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. All those negative, that negative self-talk and I'm not worthy enough and I don't know how to deal with any of this. For me, right. my coping mechanism was I'm going to get fucked up as high as right. a kite every day for the last two years of my run. And that's how I coped with life. But these gentlemen and these individuals that lost their lives to suicide, I'm not sure what their story looks like, but I guarantee a lot of those feelings that we experienced were similar to what they went through at some point. And that's the darkest, scariest place to be. And that's something that I, I think I recognize too. And, and I think that's what kind of fueled, fueled this a little bit too, is when I talk to people, when I, I know my experience, when mm -hmm. I talk to Ryan, Damien, you know, now, now countless other people, they've gone, they've gone to their professional agencies. And again, not discounting professional agencies at all. But uh, if, if you don't get it, mm -hmm. if you haven't been there, you can't possibly get it right. If you've never, if you've never really decided that the world is genuinely better off without me and I am a burden, you don't really know how that feels. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's a, I think it's a bit of a privilege to be able to have been that dark and got through it. It's, it's now like. It's like a superpower. Yeah, man. It's, it really <laughs> is. It really yeah. is to know that feeling. To know that yeah. and be able to get through it and come out the other side. It's like, dude, we are we are very uniquely qualified to be able to talk somebody through that. Yeah. Right. And so you guys are like a, 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 hub, more a hub that kind of points people in the right direction as well, as far as what they need or. Parts of it. Parts of it. Like a lot of times it's it starts with someone reaching out and it's, you yeah. know, that leads to us. We always call it the boots on the ground, right? We we are there to help people in that moment of opportunity when the window is open. Because it, I'm yes. sure it works the same way in Mississippi. That window shuts down really fast if nobody's there to answer it, right? So we're there to answer those calls. And whether or not it's some of them relate to us and we work with them hands-on, some of them, it's definitely not our expertise and we're not qualified to work with them. But we don't just give them a phone number and say, go try this. We'll help them navigate the system because right, right. like I said earlier, I, I work in the system and it's confusing as hell for me some days. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so I can't yeah. imagine, you know, you take somebody who's never had to deal with this before in their life. So that, that chaos and that stress, and now you give them this huge sheet with a hundred phone numbers on it. And I know you go navigate all this stuff. If you don't know, you just don't know. And it's overwhelming. Well, and, it, and another big part is it, I was a burden, like at my worst, at my worst, darkest moment, right? When I was ready to take my life, I, I absolutely was 100% convinced I was a burden. Yeah. Now, if I start reaching out to the agencies and they don't have the capacity to mm -hmm. deal with me today, or, you know, you've talked, this is the wrong agency or whatever, you know, that Here's whole system navigation. Yeah. If I'm already feeling like I'm a burden and the system that's built to help me tells me I'm a burden when I reach out to it. Right. That's leaving me in a pretty rough spot, man. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the stigma attached to mental illness, I know here, and, and this is what we're battling. And I've, I've been um, in and out. I've been lucky enough to work in, in and out of mental health for like, you know, close to 20 years. Um, and so 
even now, man, you know, working, you know, I got working a small uh, mom and pop facility. Um, people, like, like you said, everybody's got those feelings, man. And, and, and most people aren't brought up to learn how to navigate through those, you know? And so most people don't talk about them. Most people don't know how to process them. So when you get, when they come see me, it's like, yeah, you get it. You know, you get mm-hmm. it. So it's like, what can we do to, you know, like you guys are doing up there, what can we do to, to stop that? Cause here, you know, I mean, and I, I'm sure it's a, it's a you know, collective um, or a collection of things that have con- contributed to the problem. But it's like, nobody wants to talk about prime example. I don't want to talk about my feelings because you're going to think I'm a wuss. Yeah. Right. So, and so, and also on the flip side of it is because on the other side of it, I got to validate those feelings because they are important and then act in opposite of it to try to move past it. You know, so there's like this balance, but I don't even want to address that because I don't want you to think that I can't handle my own problems. Mm -hmm. You know, and so especially after with COVID, man, it's just, it's, um, I don't know about the suicide right here. I haven't really looked that up, but as far as um, the amount of calls that we get every day, as far as business goes, man, it's just twice as much as it was before. man. It's just nuts. You know, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and I just, it just baffles me, I guess, I guess because, you know, I've been in it for so long, um, how I lived before and, and how you watch people not able to talk about things or communicate with healthy systems. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, you know, I'll, so when, when I went to treatment and then I went to work in, you know, mental health for a while, I was used to, you know, being open and talking and, 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 and um, therapeutic processes, all that kind of stuff, right? right? Well, then I went to work for um, a different area with the public, and there wasn't a whole lot of that going on. And so I lost all that, you know, and so I got closed off to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm back in it now. I've been in, you know, so great years. I'm, I'm, it's easier for me to open up and talk, right? So when I get around somebody who's not used to or um, able to talk about things directly, in a healthy manner, it just, it baffles me, man. It's yeah. like, what, what, like, tell me what you want, you know, be clear, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff, you know? And so it's like, if, if that's kind of how I was, there's gotta be, you know, millions of people out there like that, man. You know, um, Absolutely. another little side note, man, that kind of, that, uh, that I get interested in, you know, like healthy communication, right? What does that look like? You know, um, being able to ask for what you need, you know, being able to, uh, um, talk about things that are difficult, man. That's that's a that's that's a huge problem, you know, where we are in, in the Bible Belt, where you know people don't talk about problems. No, yeah. Sure. Well, and yeah. speaking of that, from my from my experience, I think um, my old way of thinking in in active addiction, right? I was so so selfish, so amazingly selfish that I, if I seen vulnerability in somebody. I would figure out how to capitalize on totally. it. That's what I did. That's how I was wired. It was my unhealthy brain. It's what I did. I capitalized on vulnerability. And then, so that's like pre-programmed into my brain that vulnerability is a weakness that people will prey on. Mm-hmm. And, and so then to come out of that and realize that, vulnerability is actually my strength. It's like, it, it goes against every core belief that my, that old sick thinking is holding on to. Right. And, and being as sick as I was, I assumed that everybody else, like I, again, I thought I was normal. 
right? So I thought that my thinking was the same way that everybody else thought. Yeah. So if I show anybody <clears throat> any vulnerability, they're going to prey on it the same as I would prey on theirs. Mm-hmm. For sure. So you end up in this spot where you're learning to live like a human being for the first time at 30 some years old yeah, yeah. that isn't just based in what's best for me. What can I get from you? And it, you know, program's great and it works really well. And I think those struggles, you know, that I'm trying to undo 35 years worth of thinking <laughs> and it's, you know, those, those thought patterns are hardwired in my brain and it, it takes some conscious effort to, Mm-hmm. deviate from that and so you know when you talk about vulnerability being a weakness which in turn is actually our strength right that's that's one of the craziest things i think for me is recognizing how what i thought was my weakness is actually my strength yeah and 35 years of that or however many years you're right it becomes ingrained and that's the pattern and that's the normal and that's Within, without even really cognitively thinking about it, that's just our behavior based on our thoughts, right? We know and we react without even thinking. That's just what we do. So getting into recovery, yeah, it's a huge process. It's not, we hear this all the time, like, can you help fix so-and-so? I'm like, no. <laughs> if they're willing, we'll help them walk the walk, but there's no fix to this. It's a huge process. And to rewire our brains, a, we've completely damaged the heck out of them from all the drug and alcohol abuse. And then you not gotta, to mention a half a liver. Yeah, yeah, you're half a liver, right? <laughs> it's nice to see you still sitting in the chair. You haven't rushed out of here yet. Um But yeah, to to rewire, to stabilize ourselves and start letting our brains heal from all the all the substance we've put in it, and then start that's step one, stability, right? And then start working on, on the, all the underlying causes, because we say it all the time and Drugs and alcohol weren't really the problem. That was our solution for so long to the problem, which lived up here way before I picked up drugs and alcohol. Oh, God, yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. that happens oh, yeah. in Mississippi too? Oh, yeah. I, think so. <laughs> yeah, I, think I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, yes. Um, and, and I know that we've talked about this before, but it's like that, that ism, that whatever you want to call it, was there from, from the start. Man, I can remember... Um, going to church as a young person and in and, and, and our faith, you know, we would make a profession of faith. And once you made the profession of faith, then you were able to uh, be exposed to like um, the Lord's supper where you partake in the eating of the bread and all that kind of good stuff. Well, so I'm, I'm good for it. Right. I don't need to do all that stuff. So I can remember being like, you know, in kindergarten and not going through that process yet. And then passing the stuff to eat and drink. I'm like, why aren't y'all giving me some? I mean, I'm, I'm part of this deal too, man. Yeah. You know? So it's like, there's, there, there's always been, and I, I can't put my, I cannot put my finger on it, but there is, cause I don't, I don't logically think that I'm any different or any better than you guys at all. Right. Probably the opposite. Okay. Um, but so, somewhere there, there's this feeling of uniqueness, this, in, this entitlement, like there's like this it's separation, you know, the ego separates me from everything and I can find anything. Well, you know, I'm not from Canada, so I'm not as cool as those guys or, or whatever. It's going to find anything it's going to separate me from you guys, man. Yeah. You know, and that's been there since day one. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's so much similarities, right? And that's addiction. I think it, it's, it wants you isolated. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. It like, <clears throat> I remember walking into probably the first week. I mean, the first week in meetings is usually pretty blurry if you come in in the right condition. Um, <laughs> But I remember sitting in those rooms looking, like actively looking for reasons I didn't fit in. Yeah. The right? differences. What, what, you know, that lady's a lady. 
that person's old. That person's not the same color as me. That person, you know, whatever, whatever I could pull down. And then for me, when I seen the word God mentioned, I was like, sweet. I'm out. I do not belong here. And it was just this constant battle with this voice in my head that I thought was me. Like, that's the trickiest part of this whole damn thing, right? It's baffling. Is this voice that I have in my head that for 35 years has convinced me that it's me is actually just my illness. Yeah. And it took having somebody sit me down and go, listen, dude. So believe it or not, Josh, I used to get a little punchy back in the day, right? Weird. And uh, I had somebody sit me down and go, man, if, if you had somebody standing beside you saying in your ear the shit that you say to yourself constantly, what would you do? I'm like, I'd, I'd do, it wouldn't have lasted more than a couple hours and that dude would be laid out. <laughs> He's like, so if you recognize it, and it was a really cool, it was a really cool exercise for me at the beginning. If, if I recognize this voice as not me, as my addiction, as my illness, and like the exercise I went through was, you know, give it a name. If, if Johnny's talking to me, recognize it as Johnny and be like, Johnny, you can fuck right off today. I'm not <laughs> yeah. putting up with your shit. Sweep right? the leg, dude. Sweep the leg. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel says, <laughs> and that's just it. Right. It's like, it, it, it's, it's not me, but 35 years of not knowing any better and just having that voice in my head telling me that it's me. Mm. And it was a really pivotal moment for me to be like this. This isn't me. This is this thing that I got. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, now that was a big step for me for shit to start falling into place and being able to process things and, and realize that we've, we've talked about it before, right? The the shift of guilt to shame, Mm -hmm. you know, from I make mistakes to I am a mistake to realizing that I am not that. That that is an illness that I have. Mm -hmm. It is not who I am fundamentally. And slowly the forgiveness of self was able to come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where that piece for me, it, you know, we're not responsible for our addiction, but we are, once we recognize it, we're responsible for our recovery. And that's the piece you're talking about that I resonate with is what can I do on a daily basis to keep this in check? Because I know I have this illness and this voice, but I know there's a way to deal with it. Now it's based on what I do every day directly correlates to how much strength that voice has in my head. So by doing this program and by doing these new, you know, principles on how to live and keeping that connection to God and lots of people might or might not understand that connection, but it took me four years to figure it out, but I finally figured it out and it was the light bulb moment for me. And that's just been another piece in my, you know, we talk about the tool belt, another piece in my tool belt to combat that voice on a daily basis. Simply put, it's almost, you know, in the big book talks about us being, you know, outright mental defectives. Mm-hmm. So like for years, it was like, yeah, that's not me. But it kind of is. It's, it's, you know, I, I start feeling good and then I stop doing the things that make me feel good. It's like, I'm, it's like you know, I'm working in mental health and working with people that, you know, had you know, diseases like schizophrenia. You know, sometimes those symptoms look like I'm going to stop taking my medicine because I feel so good. Yeah. And so. Same here, man. It's like I start feeling good. I'm working with somebody. I'm taking them through the steps. I am riding high, man. The the debt, the relational problem, all that stuff is not as of importance like it used to be, you know, because I'm I'm investing in somebody else. And then a couple, two or three days later, a couple of weeks later, I'm I'm not I'm not at doing the same thing. It's like, well, I'm a little bit scared, man. Or I'm a little bit, you know, she's pissing me off. And I think 
that moment that I one, one of the moments in recovery for me um, that helped me kind of see what you're talking about, Rick, as far as like that's not me, and 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 me being part of the issue as well is I, I was. I'm, I'm twice married. This is this is it for me, guys. I'm just telling you, you know, <laughs> telling you, this is it, okay? And it has nothing to do with my current wife. I love her. I mean, she's a godsend, man. She's changed my life. But, you know, seeing that when I was married the first time to my, my oldest Sue's mother, I thought it was her, you know? And while it takes two people to tango, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, 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 uh, that, that's important. But it was all her. And so getting remarried completely different person, you know, um, completely different person. I start having some of the same problems. What's that about? You know, what's that about? So then it's like, well, maybe, maybe you do, maybe you, it's, but it's, but it's, it's twofold. Cause it's like, well, maybe you are just a piece of shit, Josh. You know, that's what I start thinking. But, but it also helps me see maybe there's some of those defects of character that, you know, somebody's helping you see that you can, you know, look at. So maybe it's not your outside circumstances. Maybe it's something on the inside. Yeah. Maybe it's something, that there's some proactive tools that you, use, you can use, and it became more simple. It wasn't like this big puzzle piece. I've got to do this large four-step and list every sexual act I've ever committed or even thought about. You know, it's it's just hey, got this little inventory here. I hear you got some selfishness, self-centeredness, maybe some judgmental, maybe some perfectionism, and, and maybe um, one of my big ones is need for approval. You know, that kind of, maybe you got some of that going on, and perhaps that's blocking you. You know, that's not who you are. That's just kind of what you do. You know? mm-hmm. it's like, what? <laughs> then I gotta let go of all that stuff. Then I can't. Then I can't hang out there anymore, man. You know. But on the flip side, like you said, man, there's a solution to it. You know, it's like, oh, that's not me, Rick. That's not really who I am. I'm not that scared kid, man. You know. You know, I'm, I'm that guy that gets on the podcast with these guys. I had no idea who they. I've never met them before, except through phone or or, or FaceTime. You know. Yeah. This is pop. You know. Um, yeah. So I completely relate to that, guys. Why don't you? Uh... We're just getting close to our time here. Why don't you fill us in a little bit on the nonprofit that you've started down there and what you're trying to do and, and uh, what people can do to help you. Thank you so much. Um, so let me, let me if, and tell me if I'm going to run out of time. Oh, so no. We're, when I, when I originally. We pay sober, by the hour. So you're good, buddy. <laughs> Still the yeah. cold habits. Die hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, when I originally got sober, I was like, <laughs> uh, "Sorry, about that. <laughs> oh man, this is great. This is great." Um, I was, you know, I got out, got out of treatment, had about a year sober, and um, the the director of the local treatment center had asked me to move in to run a sober living facility. And at that time, that was one of the first ones that was just now getting popular, and I declined for selfish reasons. And I've always felt a pull towards, you know. Um, sober living or helping people in recovery, obviously, you know, but like, you know, like other times in my life, you know, I'm, I'm sober now. Let me, let me fix my own life. And I, and I, so I got busy with my own life, relapsed, you know, all that kind of stuff. Getting sober again, there's always been that pull uh, of, of, um, of working in the industry or having something to do with the industry, you know, and, and while I'm respecting the traditions, while we're, we're, we're not doing it, um, any disservice to anybody, so uh, there's been that pull and there's been that, you know, question, like, how do I get, how do I do this? And so I found myself through, through my higher power, through God, after um, some, some major calamity in my life, working this job that I probably shouldn't even be in, man, of all making in the mental health industry. And, and all these people are coming to me, man. You know, all these people are coming to me and, I, and I'm, 
I'm getting involved in the recovery community more. And it's like, what can I do, man? I've always wanted to do a, so- you know, everybody gets sober and wants to, you know, start a treatment center, right? I mean, we do it, you know? And, and I think for some of us that stick around long enough and start seeing what that's really all about, you know, we still want to do it. We want to make a difference. So, uh, I finally got over my fear and there's still lots of fear there guys. Don't, don't, don't think for one minute that I'm, that fear is not still there. Some, but I finally got off my rear end and filed some paperwork. And I, um, I started a little small nonprofit. It's called grace recovery services. Um, it, it's, it's just me and my wife and uh, another friend that works in the treatment center industry. And it's just basically raising funds to give to people, um, to pay like a month of sober living or maybe an entry fee into a treatment center. Awesome. And, and and we really haven't gotten off the ground like I want it to be because I want it to be huge, you know, but we've, we've done a little bit. Um, and so we've, we've most likely going to have some, um, some uh, golf tournaments or softball tournaments and that sort of thing to, uh, to raise money. Cause ideally what I'd like to have, you know, I had a meeting with a guy this morning about it is have a, just a set amount of money over here on the side that when, you know, if, if Rick needs a, a, a sober living uh, tuition for that month, you know, he's just getting out of treatment. We can give him that, you know, we can help him, you know, or if, uh, if Ryan needs, you know, some, a little bit of upfront money to get into this treatment center up here that we can do that because man, um, we've got two treatment centers here in town and we've got a homeless shelter. And so if you don't have any money, man, you're kind of screwed, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's a huge need for, um, for that type of, of monies to be able to help people to start the recovery process because, um, you know, the homeless shelter is full of people, man. You know, we were able, that was another benefit of the pandemic, you know, that we were able to start taking meetings over there. And, um, man, you know, one of the guys that I work with is starting to help some guys get in the treatment center. So the, 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 the fish are out there, man, we just got to get out there and catch them. So you asked me a question, I'm going to get to the answer finally, cause I go around the world. Man. <laughs> Adult ADHD, ADD, whatever you want to call it, man, all over the place. Um, you can you can go to the Facebook page and donate through that. If you if you have um, if you order things off Amazon, you can go to Amazon Smile and designate Grace Recovery Services, and they'll donate like a half a percent to our um, to our uh, nonprofit. Or you can just mail a check to Grace Recovery Services, five four two two West Fourth Street, Hattiesburg, Mississippi three nine four zero two. And uh, you'll help somebody. You know? yeah, yeah. So that, that's what we got going on here, man. You know, um, because I just want to be effective. You know, I want to be effective and, and help my fellow man. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to get rich. Uh, and that was always the thing. How can, for me, how can I get rich and help people? <laughs> and, and the rich person, you know, the rich parts is the, is the important part first and then help people as well. But ever since of when I try to flip those, and we don't look at that other stuff, man. Things work out, man. Yeah. On a, on a side note, and this is just an example of the power of God in in my life. At a year sober, I'm looking at 20 years in prison, and I've never really shared this with Rick specifically, all the circumstances. But um, it was a bad deal, man. You know, it was something I didn't do. It was it was just terrible. It was uh, looking at 20 years in prison. Uh, and I put myself in a situation for that, so uh, you know, there's a responsibility there. But I'm having to ask myself, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? This could be the end of my life. I've never seen my kids again. And all that material bullshit was out the window, man. And so my sponsor at the time, I'm looking for him to come and tell me what the answer is. I'm like, look, Bert, what do I do? Tell me what I need to do, man. I need, you know, and, and nobody in recovery would do that. All they would do is say, I love you. Let's open the big book up to page 86, 87, 88. And here's what you do. And I love spiritual principles. So um, 
the point of me saying that is when I focus on putting the spiritual first, all that other stuff just takes care of itself. And, and, and for a guy like me, it takes a lifetime to just figure that out or to submit to that, man, because it's it's the opposite for me. It's like, how can I figure all this shit out, man? You know? um, and so for anybody out there who is struggling with that, you know, guys, that's that's kind of the answer, you know, that for me is is the spiritual than the material, you know? And, and I'm not ashamed to say that because I want what I want. And I know from experience that things will turn out the best for me if I do it that way. Yeah. I may have to wait, um, but I won't be in as much pain, you know? I won't be in jail, you know. I won't, all that stuff will not be going on, and I'll have some really cool stuff. Awesome, That's my story. awesome, buddy! Wow. Yeah, I can completely relate to your process there. That's spiritual first. Take care of that, and the big fellow will look after the rest. Yeah, because I sure I, I can't. I mean, you know, I've tried, and I still want to, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When Thank I, guys for. I'm sorry. Go ahead. When I did it my way, I know where it took me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and when I do it my way, I'm thinking, you know, I really don't need to do that inventory. I really don't need to. <laughs> I really don't need to do that right now. It'll be okay. It starts building, man. You know, it starts building up, and before you know it, um, there's this inappropriate relationship, or there's this um, uh, huge resentment over here, you know, and then then the thought life goes over oh, there too, and before you know it, man, it's all it's over with, man, because. Mm-hmm. When I first came to AA, what I, what I heard was I can do anything that I want to do <laughs> and get away with it as long as I stay sober. Yeah. That's what I heard. For sure. That's what I heard. That, that's what I was interpreting. <laughs> and, and, and it really hasn't been my experience, you know, as far as uh, my life's going. It's like, you know, you might want to start doing some stuff to better your character, Josh, so, so that you don't go back. Because, you know, I, at, 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 I guess it was what preceded that relapse. One of the things was, you know, of course, not going to AA and not doing steps and not doing stuff, but also uh, I had an affair and uh, I was like, you know, I can, I can get away with this. You know, I can, I've been sober all this long. Self-knowledge will keep me, you know, um, I was young when I got sober. So now I can have this affair and, you know, cause stuff's not going my way. I deserve a little bit of relief and mm-hmm. before you know it, man, here we are. You know, Absolutely. I'm coming back. I'm back. You know, I got the, I got the bottle of vodka under the seat and you know the rest of the story. Yeah. It's familiar. <laughs> so my friend, I think that, uh, that takes us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much. Yeah. You've, uh, yeah. it's, it's been pretty wild building this relationship with you that I've never even met you, man. And I, lo- I look forward to the day that we get to give each other a hug. Absolutely. Both of you guys, man. Both of you guys. For sure. It's been a pleasure getting to know you today, Josh. And I'm sure this is just one of many stops that we'll have along the way. Thank you for taking the risk of having me on. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody left us unsupervised, so we'll just kind of have whoever go. we have. Yeah, I still question how the hell we're in the position that we are. So <laughs> it's all good, buddy. So with that, I'd like to encourage everybody to check out that Grace Recovery Services on uh, Facebook and and donate you know i think that amazon thing's brilliant like that's easy maybe we'll get we'll get dave we'll get the wizard to put a link to your to your site and your social media stuff in our podcast in the notes thanks so much brother look forward to talking to you again thanks guys have awesome man have a great day buddy 
From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.